Hello, welcome back to the ancient art of modern warfare. I'm Chris Mayer, and returning today is Robert Waring, Colonel, U.S. Army retired, and currently a faculty instructor with the U.S. Army War College. Hello, Rob. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me back. As we move to identifying elements needed to develop a theory of warfare for the space power domain, we need to look at military theory as it already exists. This means looking at an overarching theory of warfare, something common across domains, and the distinct contributions each domain makes to achieving the ends of the overarching theory. Previous podcasts address that framework, which will save us a lot of time. These include Episode 7, What is War?, and Episode 8, The Natural Laws of War. So, a theory would begin with the understanding of what war is, as described in those two podcasts. Theory, according to Clausewitz, studies the nature of the ends and means in war. Ends are those objects which will lead directly to peace. Means are the resources we will use and the environment in which they will be used to achieve the ends of the war. At the overarching level, this will be the four baskets we use to describe national power. Military power is the first that comes to mind, but it's only one element and sometimes may not be the most important one. Economic power is the enabler of military power. Some people have said that the side that wins is the side with the most money, and there's a lot of truth in that, and for more reasons than just who can afford the baddest army or navy or air force. Diplomatic power can be even more important. Clausewitz was not the only thinker who said that war is the servant of policy. Not only are diplomats critical to shaping the post-war peace, they also gain allies while isolating the enemy. Informational power seems to be even more important than ever. It might even be able to win a war without firing a shot. Sun Tzu certainly thought so. Today, informational power includes cyber operations, psyops, and good old-fashioned propaganda. For the United States, information is the power of getting the truth out there in a way that people can hear, understand, and believe while remembering that lies travel faster, go farther, and are very difficult to dislodge. Military power, economic strength, diplomacy, and information, each applied in a way where it can have the greatest effect both alone and to create synergy with the other elements. But when discussing military theory leading to a theory for space power, we'll limit ourselves to the elements of military power. Within military power, the means, which Clausewitz describes as the resources and environment, are the domains of warfare, land power, sea power, air power, and now space power. Now this idea of an overarching framework is not original. There's a number of recognized philosophers of war. For the overarching framework, the number of recognized philosophers is actually fairly limited. I've already mentioned Carl von Clausewitz and Sun Tzu, especially in episodes 7 and 8 of this series on what is war and the natural laws of war. Rob, can you tell us a little bit about some of these other theorists that are taught at the War College? Okay, so let me talk about Thucydides, Machiavelli, Jomini, Corbett, and Mao. Thucydides was an ancient Greek historian who documented the Peloponnesian Wars. He was not what we'd call a theorist today. He was a historian. His writings on the Peloponnesian Wars naturally led to the basic questions, what is war? Why do wars occur? 
Two seemingly simple questions that led to the inspiration of many of the theorists we're talking about today. His insights into the political processes, the strategic mindsets of the major players, and the operational effects of end states and strategic decision-making are considered a baseline for strategic leadership today. Machiavelli was a product of the Renaissance. His ideas came about during a time of great changes, changes such as the introduction of firearms, artillery, and armies conscripted from the general population. He is probably best known for his ideas of how rulers gain and hold on to power. Machiavelli believed defense was the stronger form of war. Machiavelli's concepts of political oversight of the military and carefully constructed training and preparation, especially in times of peace, are still particularly important today. Jomini was a contemporary of Clausewitz. He focused on the idea that scientifically based laws of warfare existed and could be applied to make armies successful. Jomini's writings formed the foundation of U.S. strategic thought well into the early part of the 20th century. However, his ideas focused more on the operational level of war and how to win battles rather than the strategic level. Jomini's principles of war and other ideas inf influence and continue to be found throughout doctrinal terms everywhere in Army and Joint Publications today. Sir Julian Corbett brought strategic thinking to the domain of sea power. He concentrated on how sea power has a, is a great enabler of land power. He understood the importance of trade and sea lanes and how sea power can protect and facilitate that essential trade. He also pioneered ideas that resemble what we describe as joint operations today. In his view, joint operations are how naval forces get land power to the battle and sustain them once they are there. In other words, how the unique capabilities of different military domains can enhance or enable other military domains. And that's why we include Corbett in this list for overarching, because rather unlike uh, the air power theorists like Mitchell and Douay, uh, Corbett really had a rather holistic view of how all of the different domains work together. Also, it's important to point out that Corbett, among all of these theorists, was not a military officer. He came to these observations, these conclusions, based solely on his study of military history. Changing to a different line of thinking, we come to Mao. Mao is considered to be the father of insurgency doctrine, how to overthrow an established state from within. Unlike state-on-state -state conflict, Mao's theories focused on how to defeat a state from a much weaker political and material position. Mao's early years were spent in Russia where he studied Clausewitz. Mao took Clausewitz's theories and tailored them to insurgency warfare. Now, an interesting point about this is that a lot of people look at Mao as being an example of a unique Asian viewpoint of warfare. And this is really where our interest in Sun Tzu came from today because of the success of the Communist Revolution in China and Chairman Mao. But in fact, Mao didn't use Sun Tzu. Mao used Clausewitz, which is kind of curious. Okay, so each of these are studied our war colleges. But in a previous conversation, you told me that their study is in a way which is not really helpful to us to understanding that unifying framework. Can you explain on that a little bit? Well, what we tend to focus on 
is the differences between each of the theorists. We, you know, how do you differentiate these guys so you can tell them one from another? Well, let's turn that war college model on its head and instead look for what makes these thinkers similar and in doing that, identify a common military framework. To do that, let's go back to theory as being a study of the ends and means in war. In Podcast 7, I proposed a definition based on Clausewitz describing war as an act of violence in concert with other elements of national power, creating conditions intolerable to our opponent, thereby compelling him to accept our terms for a lasting peace consistent with our national interests and values. So, the ends of war are creating conditions where the enemy will no longer resist and give in to our demands. So these conditions where the enemy will no longer resist, or the end state, should establish other conditions for a sustainable peace. As Clausewitz wrote, no one goes to war, or no one in his right mind, without first being clear what the war is about. A wonderful ideal, which as we've seen in recent wars, isn't always the case in practice. But our theorists have come up with some enduring principles to be used at the strategic level, and in fact in use at the tactical levels too, to consider when applying military power to achieve the objective. Now principles here do not describe something like a mathematical theorem that can be used to solve a military problem. Rather, they are characteristics derived from observation which a strategist needs to consider when planning for the use of military power. What are some of these? Primarily, it's principle of the objective. Also, principle of the offensive, massing effects, synchronization, unity of command, economy of force, decisive action in the shortest possible time. Now, Thucydides didn't use these specific terms, but he describes situations where subsequent theorists drew upon those concepts to create these enduring ideas. To summarize, War is an act of violence, applying military power in synergy with other elements of national power to achieve a political end state. To do this, it applies violence across several domains in unified action to achieve decisive effect, rendering our opponent incapable of effective resistance. If we regard this as the overall framework of war, then we can move on to looking at the distinct contribution each domain makes within that framework. Through this, we will examine how the space domain is both distinct from the others and essential to achieving the design of the overarching framework. I know that this seems hard. As they say in the War College, of course it's hard, it's Clausewitz. But please stick with us. And I think that when we're done, you'll see that it really isn't all that hard. And more importantly, I think that you will look at many of the military decisions before us in a new and much easier to understand perspective. Throughout all of this, I want you to keep in mind a statement made by Army General Robert Cohn, who in 2014 was commanding general of the U.S. Army Training and Doctrine Command. He said, War is fundamentally a clash of human wills. Technology is secondary. Please come back next time when we discuss the role of land power. Until then, I'm Chris Mayer. And I'm Rob Waring. <laughs>